0: Uh, ministry with us uh, the last uh, couple weeks Um, I think they're safe and sound back in California but uh, and uh, and we need to be faithful to pray for them in fact Josh while you're praying for us would you pray for uh, Tyler and Victoria their incredible ministry out there Um, like the Lord used them um, out here for sure I feel like I have 36 lists today to give that's probably bad teaching skills Right there. Uh, Dr. Hockham, might need to learn a lesson or two from uh, about that. Is that Bay? Well, if we can heard talk about it. Do yeah, that does <laughs> depend how we do it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I don't think I know how to do it. So we've done so much good. Uh, and a little bit of testimony time today. About eight times in here, in this passage, it's talking about slavery. Right? Being we used to be a slave to sin. Now we're a slave to righteousness, and so uh, several are going to share about just how God has what the difference of being a slave to sin, to a slave to righteousness is. And um, we would love to hear from any of you on that because it's it is quite a quite a difference. Josh, how about reading if you would fifteen to twenty three? We're really probably going to get and get to nineteen. Lord <coughs> willing. But if we read that whole uh, part here, then we'll go to work.
1: Yep. All right. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you for who you are and for giving us this great treasure of a book. Thank you for the truths that are unfolded in this letter. Lord, I pray today that as we look at sin and obedience to different masters that we would understand our position more clearly and that it would lead us to want to fight sin and live lives of obedience. And Lord, thank you for Tyler and Victoria and uh, the great ministry that they've had here and are now having out in California. pray that you'd continue to give them great times out there and strengthen them and empower them with your grace to um, continue learning and studying and understanding who you are more fully, and I pray that you'd be with our time today, and us just in Christ Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Amen. I talked. To, I told these guys. I talked to Robin Osborne, who listens uh, very faithfully. Now they live in South Carolina, but uh, she's a member that listens, and and she wanted Tyler do uh, come plant a church in South Carolina, so that uh, it's a little bit of a closer than a one hour and a half drive, um, and and I can't blame her there at all. Um, today, so many fascinating things about the this passage, but I want to give you list number one of how this chapter six is broken up into really two really great parts, and similar in a lot of ways. Uh, this came from Stott, and I found it fascinating. He said there's these five similarities, similar but not congruent. Um, might need your help on that, Dr. Hakama, too, um, if we're talking math there. But first of all, from 1 to um, 14, these are both both of these little sections, because you see they start with a question. okay? But both of these little sections are prompted by this idea of grace. And if there is grace, does that promote or increase sin? Right? That's the, that's the thing he's getting at. We know the answer, but boy is he thorough in how he puts that thought to bed. That the doctrine of grace is going to make us licentious or whether we would want to continue to sin. Look at the grace part there. You might remember chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So somebody could wrongly and, and uh, possibly say, oh, more sin, more grace. Grace is good. Let's sin like crazy. Right? Completely backwards in its logic. And the same thought in 14, right? Six, fourteen. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but under grace. So number one, these are both prompted by grace increasing. Number two, in 1 and 15, there's a probing question. What should we say then? Verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then 15. What then? You know, they're really similar here. Are we in sin because, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Number three, they both, the response is, what? What a ghastly thought. Right? By no means, a thousand times no, strongest, Tyler says strongest in the Greek language, the idea of that is just crazy in the head to think like that. Right? It's ridiculous. It's like with an indignation that he says, you can't think like that. And then he gives us a reason, number four. I love this. This is super interesting. He says the only reason that we would think about this, look at verse 3, I did not know this until I read in Stott. Do you not know? He says anybody that's arguing that way is out of ignorance. Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Okay, so that's what he says in verse 3. Look at the same sort of language in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? So, that's the fourth like similarity in both passages. He's so thorough, isn't he? And when he is helping us to understand sanctification. And then number five, um, both remind us of the radical incongruity of our old life and our new life. And this is our emphasis today. There is nothing that is the same about the old man and the new man. We were dead, now we're alive, right? How can it be more blatantly different than that? We were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. We were living in darkness, now we're living in the light. We were really following Satan, now we're following the Lord Jesus, right? It was leading to death, now it's leading to life, our life is so you have all of these as dramatic of a uh, differences as you can see i think as you could even see in the in the human language in the english language so these first 15 verses talk about being united to christ 1 to 15 remember that was or 1 to 14 that was really the idea and now this new 16 to 23 is what does it mean to be enslaved to God, right? We've lost our slavery to sin, who, and we're so thankful for that. Um. Josh,
1: help us. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'll try. Yeah. Um. When you think about chapter six, really, I think these two questions kind of frame the whole chapter, and Paul is dealing with these objections to what he's taught through so far, how people could misconstrue grace. And uh, the first one, of course, being, are we to continue in sin that grace would abound? And then the second one today, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? As Jerry said, they're very similar, but I think there's some, some subtle differences. Uh, Tyler was sharing some of that at the end of last week, and we got to talk briefly. But um, in the course of this chapter, Paul's also doing a lot of teaching. He's teaching on our unity, our union with Christ, and then here, our slavery to Christ, but coming back to this question here in 15, we've got a little bit of an, a, a shift in the emphasis from freedom to slavery, and um, there would be some people, some detractors or some people that would object to Paul's gospel to maybe try and discredit him that he could be responding to here, and um, I think if one is asking this question, it is do we sin to increase grace? 15 is asking, do we sin because we already have grace? And so you see there's a little bit of a, a difference in the question. Paul's not just repeating himself uh, to be redundant. He's he's answering a different question. And uh, the, the question in 15, I think, really follows right there from 14, at the tail end of 14. My Bible has a a heading separating it, but I think it's on the heels of verse 14. For sin will not have sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And um, I think this question today is a sort of common one for us as believers. That's maybe prevalent just generally speaking in the evangelical church, and um, it's sort of the question of antinomianism, the anti-law. Do we Because we have grace, can we live however we want? And, of course, Paul is going to refute that. One pastor I listened to said, perish the thought. Mm -hmm. Let that thought just die. There's no way uh, we can go on sinning because we're under grace. Um, I also think, Jerry, this is a question we might consider for ourselves a little bit. Like, when we sin, are we saying it may be in the back of our minds there's grace that will cover that can that Mm -hmm. subtly slide into our own thinking does grace give us a a license to sin and uh, paul is going to refute that extremely strongly i know i've fallen into that
0: that's like eh, it's i'm forgiven past present and future and yeah, I mean, I don't like confessing that, but that, yeah. Has, yeah. that has snuck in there before. And, uh, and this is so good to just put that to rest. Grant?
2: I don't know that I have anything to add to that, but I do want to sort of say that a lot of the emphasis I was having when reading this was focused on... Um, that we were slaves to sin, but also this sin was reigning like a co-regent with death. Like we kind of just brushed over it last time, but that Christ conquered death. This thing that all of humanity is enslaved to is this fear of death. Um, that's no longer has a hold on us. Yeah. We're, we're not. I, I didn't. I don't think I quite realized the how closely those two things are related. Paul talks about it a little bit even in in this passage for today. You know, he says. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then he talks about it again. Um, I may have missed, I think there was three times, but there's again uh, in verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Um, and then again at the very end, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's bringing up death quite a bit with this idea of sin, and death as a young person is not something I really thought about very much as a young boy. didn't really cross my mind as a young man. I felt pretty invincible. I didn't think about death very often. Um, but that stuff starts changing, um, or even as a young a new young Christian that like it's like death is who cares about death? That's just you know that's the entrance into eternal life with our Lord. But then when you get married and then you have children, death s- starts creeping back in. I think even the temptation for the Christian is, or at least for me, I would say this with with Caroline and with Haley, there can be this inkling of a fear of of me dying. What what do I leave for them? How how are they going to take care of themselves? But I think that understanding that I'm no longer a slave of sin, that this fear of death uh, doesn't have any hold on me anymore. I have been unified with Christ, and I'm guaranteed we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So, even though death will happen for me, uh, the sting of it is gone for me, because now I'm a slave of righteousness, and united to Christ, I think that kind of puts that to rest. So that that's not really related to what you are talking about, but I thought it was maybe an important context for talking about, especially in light of our discussion for later on the testimonies of the difference of being a slave of sin versus a slave of righteousness. Because for me, that term slave of sin can just be a theological category that I once checked the box for, but no longer is true for me. But I think if you talk to older believers, or if you talk to Scott or Mark, or if you listen to the sermon by Bodie Bauckham where he's saying you can't take... What is the memory of sins from me? Um, you see that there is this intense, like, personal aspect to us of what we've been delivered from. So I think that's sort of important in setting the stage for when we talk about that. Um, there's a reason why Paul, Paul breaks out into spontaneous praise, but thanks be to God in verse 17. But
0: yeah. No, that's right. In spontaneous praise. whoo End of chapter 11. I know we don't get there until October, but he breaks into those four verses of just a spontaneous praises, the right way to put it, Grant. And doesn't it remind you of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The, the unbeliever cannot say that. The unbeliever is, if they are, if they are quiet, and they think about death, it's got to be terrifying. It has to be. Now, they try not to. I think that they try to cover it up with all kinds of other craziness. But when they think of it, it is there. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57, in this great? First Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And... Just like in chapter 6 here, 1 Corinthians 15 then gives us something to do about it. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so there is action that we need to go to because of this new position um, we're in. The definition, Josh, in 16, really, there's a definition of source, back to Romans 6, um, of what it really means to be a slave. And it's not rocket science, I guess. It's the one you obey. I bet Grant could build a rocket, by the way, but that's a whole different (laughs) different deal. Maybe on accident. Probably doing (laughs) it in the lab lab, as we speak. On accident.
1: (laughs) On accident. Accidental rockets. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, when you look at verse sixteen this is his Paul now launches into his response to the question. And before I come to your question, Jerry, it's interesting. He uh, he begins with, with a cognitive truth. He, it's a hypothetical question, do you not know? Mm-hmm. And so it's something that he's reminding the believers at the church in Rome. It's an assertion of the truth that he's gonna follow with, but it must be comprehended by the mind. So he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And I think he's getting at this idea that um, we will be slaves based on our fruit. You know, what what we do is going to identify who we are enslaved to or what we are enslaved to, and our lives are going to be marked. Really, there's just two uh, masters, sin or obedience, or... um, you know, impurity, uncleanness, or to God. Those are our two options. I think there's this, maybe a little bit of a misconception that um, Christianity is kind of a set of rules, things that you just got to do, you know, Um, and then people that are non-Christian just get to live a life of freedom. But there's really only, as human beings, we'll be enslaved to something. It will be sin, uncleanness, impurity, or it will be to God and to righteousness. Those are the only two options. And Slavery to God is, the, is true freedom, freedom in the fullest sense. Tug um, Mu was interesting. He said there's no such thing as human autonomy mm-hmm. or freedom from any power or influence. And so <clears throat> just studying that this week, that was uh, a little bit of a new insight for me or just maybe clarified what I already knew to be true a little bit, but... Um, True freedom is found in slavery to God and righteousness. And it's what we're designed to be, and that's who we're designed to be, is following our King Jesus and operating under uh, his rulership as he is our good and benevolent master. And uh, we are gladly enslaved to him and yeah. enslaved to righteousness. But everybody's a slave. Everybody's a right. slave. Yeah. The only thing that changes is who the master is. Right.
0: And that is a huge difference. Right, right. As dramatic of a difference as there could be, there were two great quotes, and uh, and Josh certainly um, started us off on that. Matthew Henry says, "If we would know to which of these two families we belong, we must inquire to which of these two are our masters. Do we yield to obedience? Like which of the two masters do we yield to obedience?" MacArthur. Uh, I really love this short paragraph. He says, many people resist the claim of Christ because they are afraid of having to give up their cherished freedoms. Right? The wrong thinking, the unbeliever, don't you think they feel like they're free? They don't have to obey all these rules and stuff. They don't have to go to church. They don't have to be nice if they don't want to, I guess. I don't know if that's one of their rules. But they don't have to do stuff. And, and they think we do. Actually, of course, they have no freedom to lose. The unsaved person is not free to do any good or evil as he chooses. He is abounding, enslaved to sin. Listen to this. And the only thing he can do is sin. His only choices have to do with how, why, and to what degree. he'll. He can choose maybe how much he'll sin, how he's going to do it, why he's going to do it. But he is going to sin. Because he's a slave to it. Grant, you had some thoughts on 17.
3: Yeah, but
2: I just think that's so interesting because if you interact with your average coworker worker or just anybody in the world, that's the total opposite of what yep. they would be trying to convince you of is the Christians are the ones living in a restrictive bubble and then the rest of the world is free to do whatever they want. But that's actually not the case. They turn it on its head. They're, they're only free to increase and sin unrighteousness leading to more unrighteousness and we certainly see that in our culture with even just the, the one little category of just sexual freedom just promiscuity um, thinking that doing whatever you want in that area of life is true freedom and we just see it decays and decays and decays generationally it just continues either either individually in someone's life or generationally over time it's just going to increase in the magnitude and the degree of the sinfulness um, leading to more and more death. It's it's a true slavery that I think we have the ability to see, um, much like a drug addict's not able to really see that they're enslaved uh, to their sin. But you know, verse seven, 17 is pretty interesting because it's sort of a strange verse, but it's because it says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. There's so much going on in this verse, but I just want to stop with um, the, the first phrase. I think Scott McAndrew would would say that we, we can't just go right past that, and I certainly was in my preparation for this. I was just trying to figure out what each thing meant, um, reading all the commentaries, but Scott pointed out that this is a spontaneous thanksgiving that mm-hmm. Paul um, is getting to because of the truth that he's talking about, that we're no longer slaves, and the one... That he's given thanks to is God, who initiated our freedom, and that made me kind of slow down a little bit and start thinking, why didn't I not break out in spontaneous mm-hmm. praise when I'm when I'm reading through this? Is because I'm distracted by just trying to understand the theological truth, which is good, but I'm missing, I guess, the implication of how, the magnitude of what that uh, deliverance from slavery was like. Um, and I think thinking back on my life before I became a Christian, um, you know, that, it's, it's a humbling thing because you do think back on those things with, with shame now. Um, there's no punishment for that or, or, or guilt in life for me now because of my being united to Christ. But I think those things can increase the sweetness of the grace that we have been given. Um, when we start understanding the magnitude of our sin. It's why Paul breaks out, but thanks be to God, that you who are once slaves of sin, um, I think thinking about that personally, there there was a time in my life that that's all I could do. There was no freedom from that, and if God hadn't delivered me, it would have just manifested in more and more and more slavery, leading to, to death and then final death with punishment for those sins eternally uh, and being separated from... Uh, the joy and life of God in heaven but there's a curious phrase in here as we keep going uh, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart uh, to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and when I read that I'm just thinking obedient from the heart that's got to be the new birth that's regeneration that's God um, opening our eyes in salvation justification giving us a new heart new desires to obey and to serve him with joy Um, but the phrase at the end to the standard of teaching to which you are committed that was I had not ever really uh, read that before or heard it put that way I guess you could you would typically think but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart uh, to serve Christ or to serve righteousness would be maybe what the expected flow would be but it says to the standard of teaching to which you are committed um, and that's so interesting because I think some people think that is like the apostolic tradition handed down to generation to generation or the teaching from the apostles on down but MacArthur and, and Schreiner had a different view on that that I thought was very interesting of because um, the standard isn't being handed from someone else to us but we're being handed over to the standard and um, you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. Um, And MacArthur describes it as us being poured into the mold of the gospel, that the standard of the teaching to which we were committed is the gospel teaching, um, and that we were poured into that mold, and as we came out we were made new in life uh, to live a life of obedience in the direction of that mold that we were made out of. I thought that was um, extremely interesting to think
0: about but yeah, any, any good thoughts
1: on that? no that's that's great josh any more thoughts on that part that, but i love the phrase poured into the mold of the gospel i don't think i've ever heard it quite put like that but that was that phrase i wasn't sure what it
0: meant yeah, either. I, I heard it either thanks be to god you know i thought as i was thinking of this slavery i thought so much Caitlin about your testimony that you shared a couple times with our students in school at FCA. If you're giving, and I want to hear from a number of you here on this, but if you're giving us a little testimony of the slave, how the slavery has changed, what is top of the list for you on the old Caitlin and the new Caitlin? Yes. So my greatest
4: testimony Much about worldly things, especially praise of man, and that manifested before I was a believer in a great deal of anxiety, depression, jealousy, anger. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of sin, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't pull myself out of that. So as I would start thinking about my career, I wasn't doing enough, and all these thoughts of um, you need to work harder, you need to do more would flood. I would start to get anxious about my life and depressed about where I was and jealous of people around me, and it just spiraled from there, and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't, like, stop my train of thought. It just filled my mind day in and day out, and it was miserable um, because I was a slave slave. to sin. I couldn't help but to think of these things. No wonder, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so one of the things that I found most remarkable when I did get saved was that now, when those thoughts happen, there's this moment where through God's grace I realize what's happening and I can make the conscious choice to either give in to those thoughts and continue thinking those things and let it um, let sin follow its course to death or I can stop because I am free in Christ. I can stop. I don't have to sin and that's such a liberating concept and we talked about it last time and it, it really is miraculous that God has given us that ability. And something that I've been meditating a lot on recently is, and it's kind of related to the passage we're reading now, why would you continue to sin as a believer? Because even though we have grace, we will not be punished for these things in eternity. Christ drank the cup of wrath, which is filled with our sins. Every sin that I commit, even now as a believer, fills that cup up just a little bit more. And if we love Jesus as much as we say we do, why would we do that for him? Yeah. And so it's made me very convicted about what my sins are and what they do to Christ. And that puts just a little bit more of a barrier in the way whenever I start to sin.
0: Yeah. So good. Shane. Shane's had 26 minutes to think about this. <laughs>
5: Uh, all right, can we come
0: back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I absolutely, because <laughs> Kevin's had 27 minutes to think about it, so he's, he's ready.
6: I think about what you're saying about being uh, renewed and transformed, and I think about that old self, that old man. You know, I'll be 45 this year, and I think about 2012 was the, 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 the time period, the process in my life. And before that, I tried to search out through a bottle a liquor bottle, whatever bottle I could find. And for decades, I lived like that. So the renewing of my mind, that old man, that that old person is disgusting. I hate him. I hate, him. I hate that guy I, was. I hate him pretty much. And um, Jesus Christ turned that around for me. Changed my life, changed my marriage, changed my relationship with my coworkers, my friends, my family, my children. It is astonishing. He's been so kind to me his grace and his mercy and I think about I'm always careful to go back to scripture and I think about Galatians it says I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who who loved me and gave himself for me that is so touching and so so real to me and it's just as real as you guys in this room today Jesus Christ is real in my life the day I search that newness I search for scripture, I search for sermons, I search for um, just fulfillment in him. And that person I was a decade or more ago I didn't want anything to do yeah. with Christ. And it's phenomenal. I sometimes I just think back to, and look in the rearview rear mirror about his mercy and grace. I think, wow, he is so good. He is so kind to of us. We I mean, should kill us in our sleep some nights for the things that we've done and things that we've thought. Yeah. And I am just marveled. By his uh, his word today, the, the North Avenue, the people here, the good preaching, the good Sunday school services—it is amazing to me how I got here.
0: Yeah, and ten, ten years knuck- ago, it's nothing and-
6: I have done. I didn't white knuckle it. It wasn't something I did. It's by His Spirit. Yeah, and I want that to be—it's nothing I did. It is by His Spirit and His grace and Him alone. Period.
0: Isn't that great. Because North, hey, you, you talk about how the old man. The old Kev was disgusting to you now, but had you come to North Avenue 12 years ago, there wouldn't have been anything attractive about any of this, probably. It would have been complete nonsense, and Paul puts it like that, foolishness to the unbeliever, because it wouldn't have even been anything attractive to it. Except maybe what you would have seen in other believers, kind of like Gatlin's testimony where you saw some things that the fruit of the Spirit are attractive to the unbeliever, but the gospel isn't. Wow. Carter, tell us the old man and the new man's story. Are we looking at four years? What do you think? Five? Four years. Four years. Tell us the difference. It
3: seemed like um, back in those days, it was really an art—what they would call an artificial freedom—or a true enslavement, where you always—I was mastered by sin instead of being mastered by righteousness. And it was as if every day I was living a life just to feed the old man. Just to—it uh, was like drinking seawater, no matter how much you every day you would work to satisfy. The desires that you had, you always came up empty, and that's especially how I felt. And been in that place to where I knew that I was condemned. I knew that I stood, I stood rightfully condemned before God, and that just fueled. It was just so horrible a feeling. It was the most depressing feeling. I mean, just the thing kind of God could. Have to think that the Lord would be so um, patient and so faithful to even bring like a kid like that a guy who is just so absorbed with himself and conceited and prideful like when Mr. Poe was saying this, it's just amazing how he could even give us one ounce of grace when, when we're in that kind of state
0: yeah I like what you're saying, remember? And we're going, I guess, five months ago. But Romans 1, 32, if I'm hearing you right, Carter, described you. Although they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, you realized that you were a mess. And... Probably deserved to die for it, but there just was no way out until God <coughs> moved in you, made your changed your heart, moved you from dead to alive, all of those things. Um, wow, Thomas, it's only been what are we talking? Eight, nine months? No, ten? How long?
7: Uh, yeah, like eight months. Eight, eight months. months. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest difference was um I used to get really angry like internally and just like I could boil man and like if I was playing golf and it wasn't going well like just deep down it was just immediate like you know, I'm justified in this or like traffic or you know, it could be something very small but it was like um just the anger over circumstances and just um I could explode, like, internally, but on the outside, just kind of look pretty even-keeled. But, um, you know, I, I think the way I was raised, it was like, well, just kind of say you're sorry, and it's all good, and you can keep living how you are. Um, but then, um, Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And just reading that, it was like, well, um, you know, I don't, like, walk the way I should. And, like, I act, like, the complete opposite of how I should. And then I say sorry, but then I just keep living how I do. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I boil from just deep down inside in anger and it's like, no matter what I could do, I could change that, I could think about it, I could try to look good from outside, but, like, um, it became more and more obvious that, like, um, there's just nothing but evil in the heart. And then, um, then kind of reading through Ezekiel and realizing, um, it's not me saying, you know, all right, I'm opening the door, you know, I want forgiveness, it's like God does the pudding yeah. um, and now it's just like totally totally different where like you know, the perceived bad day can happen but um, you know I, I think I can say like there, there is truly this joy and hope in Christ that is just like you know and, and it's from within where there's been handful of times where I totally would have just exploded in frustration since then, but it, it's almost
0: shocked me a little bit. Because it's just like so nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it is almost shocking, isn't it? Like that's not at all the way I used to uh, respond. Yeah, kinda like Scott was talking about uh, Mark uh, I think last week in the sermon chain you're not off the hook. We're coming back to you. Uh Josh decade now, not quite.
1: How long? I'm not really sure exactly when I became a believer. Um, I think maybe a few different seasons of my life I would think back to, but probably maybe somewhere around in there, like late high school or early college. um, I just think about the things that I love, the things that that consumed my mental thoughts every day. You know, there's a whole range of sinful things and... Pride and athletic achievement, and um, doing the right things, being a good kid, and thinking God was pleased with me for my works and for how I lived. When on the inside, I was I was corrupt. I hated God. I wanted Him to reward me for my works, very much like the older brother. And um, I'm just thankful that Lord rescued me from that and mm-hmm. transferred me to the to His kingdom and rescued me from the domain of darkness. And his I think give me a whole new outlook on life. And uh, now I can live for Christ and all the other things will take care of themselves. Yeah. You know, it just did away with all the anxieties about life and the worries that used to consume me. Um, it's like Paul says, he's concerned about making disciples and that's it. Yeah. You know, building where no one else has built. But <clears throat> So yeah.
0: fear, anxiety, hearing and in a number, those things that plague the world are not that they still don't get us at times, but we're not slave to them. <laughs> Grant, Grant even did a little bit of interviewing. He's got a number yeah. of, uh, of of testimonies here. Can you share yours or those others?
2: Yeah, I'd rather share the others. So I'm going to start with, I with asked several people and got some responses, and, and Scott said this, um, basically asking him what's the biggest difference that he's noticed and he said biggest is difficult to say i think some big differences would be i had a hunger for the bible for the first time in my life the bible was all of a sudden radiant with life i was stirred and moved by the gospel which i don't ever remember being stirred by it before conversion i had a desire to talk about spiritual things which as far as i know was basically absent before i also had a hunger for sermons and theological books uh, lots more could be said, but those were some big differences. Um, Josh Kronick, uh said that one of the biggest things for him is the peace of God in my heart, not living in fear, um, or basically living for myself. That um, He just has the love that I have for all things in his church, family, and his own family, for his work and for evangelism. Um, no longer living for himself. Uh, but being able to live for Christ now, I thought that one was really good. We all know we all know that one, that everything revolved around us, for sure, before conversion. I thought Zach Petty had a re- really good one. Um, interesting, he was the only one me- to ask, ask for me to clarify the question, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but I thought this answer was really interesting. I recall interpreting everything, my circumstances, as happening to or against me. At best, it was senseless, but more accurately, I resented my circumstances and saw life as mostly unfair. My response to that was to either live defeatedly thinking nothing matters anyway, or becoming highly pragmatic, trying to control and overcome my circumstances as best I could. Since salvation, there is abounding peace and comfort, knowing that things aren't happening to or against me as much as they are designed and delivered for my good and God's glory. Practically, this freed me to live by principles and not pragmatically I thought that well what a line from Zach Petty freed me to not live or to to live by principles and not pragmatically and that I thought was so good um, because I think from all of these we're hearing what's happening in verses 16 and 17 because in verse 16 you're basically presented with two different ways of living a slave to sin a slave to righteousness two doors two paths two roads two gates But it's not just, Paul doesn't leave it as just a neutral choice that you get to choose which way you're going to go. He sets it up in 17, but thanks be to God. And we heard that in all these testimonies, that it wasn't so much what we're doing as it was God intervening in our life um, in an unexpected and even shocking way to us, um, that we were once slaves, have become obedient from the heart. The things that we loved before, we no longer loved. The things that we didn't like before... Uh, we now loved. our obedience uh, obedience is not an optional thing for the Christian life for sure but that obedience wasn't just uh, okay I got to be obedient now I'm going to be a slave to righteousness I'm not going to you know, it's not white knuckling it as Kevin said uh, it's obedient from the heart because God has changed us and we saw that in in all these testimonies um, not living pragmatically but living by principle living yeah. in the mold that we were cast for the teaching that we were committed to um, I just think that's so great to think about and hear that theology come out in all of these, these testimonies. And
0: isn't that interesting? Thanks, Grant, for sharing those. With Zach, too, it's not like we're not a victim anymore. We don't have to live this victim mentality that something's happening to us. Because good night is that the mentality of our world nowadays. Is that something's unfair or whatever. Sorry. But now it's all working together for good. It's a good situation. Shane?
5: Um, well, thinking back to where I was before being a believer, before I, I was in Christ, I was a horrible person, completely deserving of nothing, and yet I thought I deserved absolutely everything. Huh. Um, I, I thought that by my own morals and by my own standards, I was the greatest person who's ever walked the earth, and yet I couldn't even keep my own set right now. Every so you was
0: like, like entitlement.
5: It was entitlement, completely. Yeah. Um, and, it, and the entitlement was found based off my own self-righteousness. But yet every time I set a standard for myself, I couldn't even keep my own standard. Uh, and eventually that led to the realization that I am completely deserving of condemnation. And, and yet in that, that lowest state, Christ, Christ redeemed me. He, he brought me out of it and clothed me in His majesty. Um, took, took my place on the cross and it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me uh, I've been able to come and be a part of something greater than myself which is the body of Christ and which, which I've all, always wanted to be a part of something greater than myself because even even my, my whole life when I was trying to find that self-righteousness it was, it was because I wanted something better than what I knew that I could be um, so that's
0: my oh, that's great, wow Anybody else where you would just say, this is who I was and this is who I am now? (laughs) You were almost getting voluntold there, Mel. Close. Yes, there is an incredible difference, and I love these testimonies don't ever get, they are always new, they're always fresh, they're always encouraging, and I think be quick to share them, because I do think the unbeliever, is can be stirred by, by hearing something like that. And they do a little self, a little more self inventory maybe, and say, "Hey, wait a second here. Maybe I don't have to be stuck in this misery, because deep down they realize that they're slaves to, to this sin and that there isn't um, a way out." Well, if you look at um, one thing to close us here is, uh, Josh, would you read 19 for us yet? Um, and then we will, next week, just talk about a bunch of reasons of why not to sin. And there's so many, but we'll, we'll camp on that a little
1: bit. 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification good Um, six
0: quick things to close us Um, kind of that cover this is from Martin Lloyd Jones we're commanded to offer our bodies to him for acts of righteousness number two to offer our bodies for his purpose is something we must do this isn't an optional thing grant reminded us of that number three the command um, to yield our parts of our bodies as instruments of righteousness is based on something That has already happened to us, not something that will happen or something that might happen. This is past tense. Has happened at justification. Number four, the New Testament approach on sanctification is therefore to get us to realize our position and act accordingly. Realize your position and act accordingly. Number five, the demand is utterly reasonable. I love that. It's not an unreasonable demand. This is who we are. And this is how we can act. Number six, if we fail, it's because we haven't properly realized these great truths or are lazy and sin in failing to apply them um, to our conduct. Father, what a joy to hear these powerful testimonies today of a life changed for your glory. Lord, we want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Thank you for freeing us so that we can do it. And I asked Lord, that we would always remember our new position, that we would not uh, forget, that we would not on purpose forget or uh, just forget as we get busy with uh, the rest of life. Um, Lord, we ask that our light would shine before men, that others could see the new man the new woman that we are, and that we would... Radically, be radically different than the world because our position is so opposite uh, of the one that, uh, that they're living. Lord, I pray that this, the true freedom that we have in our slavery to righteousness, would show day in and day out in our families, in our workplace, and in everything that we do for your glory. And we look forward to what you're going to continue to teach us through Romans and through uh, Mark as he. Um, helps us in Matthew chapter 3 in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. If you would uh, think about the rest of chapter 6 and uh, we'll look Lord willing up to chap- uh, verse 23 next week. Thank you for the great testimonies.